Amen. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, we love you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for all that you have done in and through us. Lord, we thank you for the privilege that we have of coming to worship you today. I pray, Father, that all of us would leave this place changed. I really believe that worship should change us. And so, Lord, let us come before you this morning as the life-transforming, life-transforming God. And, Lord, speak to us. And, Lord, we commit right now to be obedient to what you show us today. At least I do that, and I pray that for everyone here, that whatever you show us today, Lord, that we should obey, that we would be willing to do that. Bless Matt as he comes to preach in just a moment. Thank you, Lord, for this time to be, uh, to be together, to be able to lift praises to your name. And, Lord, we thank you for the privilege that we have of knowing you and loving you. Lord, bless this church. Bless the the leadership of this church. Bless the decisions of this church. Bless the future of this church that many people will be impacted. Many lives will be transformed because of the ministry of the Journey Church in Hartsville, Tennessee. We commit that to you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Matt said that I could say a word or two of greeting to you from the Bledsoe Baptist Association. Uh, you, most of you know me. I've preached here many times, and I appreciate that. I consider Matt to be one of my dearest, dearest friends and co-laborers in the work here, and it's just a joy to be with you today. I want to bring you greetings also for, from Israel. There's a whole lot I could tell you. I just spent three weeks there in Israel. By the way, how many of you know that in the past month, at least 80 rockets have been shot from the Gaza Strip and other parts around Israel into Israel. How many of y'all saw that on the mainstream news? A few of you may know that, and that means that you're more connected than most people. We, while we were there, 80 rockets were shot into Israel. As we know, Matt knows life can turn in an instant, can't it? You know, a diagnosis, a doctor visit, a, a, a test. Well, in Israel, it's a life or death matter every day. And so I came back from Israel this time even more committed to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And so I'm going to be not necessarily a Johnny One Note, but whenever I'm around people these days, when I'm around pastors and emails that I send, I'm going to be encouraging prayer for Jerusalem and prayer for the peace of Israel. They're the only democracy in the whole Middle East. They're about to have an election. Pray for the election, God's will in that election. But I just want you to pray for our brothers and sisters that know the Lord in Israel and pray that God would remove the veil from the eyes of the Israeli people that they would come to know Jesus personally as Savior and Lord. Again, when I have a chance to preach here again, I may share a little bit more about that. But I just want to encourage you. I am committed to pray for Israel, praying for them every day, many times a day. And I would encourage you to do so. And don't believe what you see on the news. Uh, about how many of you believe what's on the news anyway? You know, most of us uh, think that that's well. Anyway, uh, I don't want to. I don't want to add any adjectives or or, or or nouns to to that. So 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 anyway, the uh, don't don't believe the um, uh, the what, what the mainstream news tells you about Israel. Israel is growing. Israel is green. The b- desert is blossoming. Prophecies are coming true. And so, please join me in praying. For Israel, praying for the peace of Jerusalem and praying for God's will to be done uh, in um, uh, in His people, and so we're part of His people as well. We have been uh, grafted in. We're now part now the church, the the body of Christ, and so it's a powerful thing. So Matt, thank you for giving me a moment to uh, uh, to just share my heart with the people. God really did a work in my wife and I's life as we were there for three weeks. And just thankful to have a chance to, to share that with you this morning. I do bring you greetings from the association. We love you. If there's any way we can ever help you, you know where we are.
testing. Oh, okay. I am alive, so that is good. Um, it's good to be with you. Some of you, if you're our guest today, thank you for being our guest. Um, I uh, I was out for a couple weeks for some surgery. I'm glad to be back. And I don't think it's, um, Mike has mentioned prayer, and we've talked about, about prayer many times over the last several weeks. And so I invite you to turn to the passage that Tom just read, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to go through the next couple weeks as we kind of build towards Easter, um, talking about prayer. Now, there's a few things in life that we know we should do, but we sometimes have a hard time doing them. The two that I can say are probably number one and number two is eat right and exercise, right? We all know that we should, right? And there's even a desire in, in your life to do those things. It may occur after you've just visited a buffet and you're like, I got to eat right and exercise, okay? That may be where you're at. It could just be like, man, I've had too many tacos. I need to get this together, okay? But it, we all know we should, and we all, in, in, in a lot of situations, we really want to. It is, it is a desire there, but sometimes pizza overcomes that desire. Our desires are too small. When it comes to the spiritual life, though, we have, there is one thing, there's many things in our spiritual life that we really desire to do, especially if we've been born again and we know Christ, and we've been given a new heart. We want to be in God's word and we want to pray. But sometimes the things that are the best for us are the hardest to do. And today we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer, and next week we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, the one that Jesus gave on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, and then we see it in, in the companion gospel, the other synoptic gospel, Luke, in Luke chapter 11, we see this same prayer. And I want us to look at this because, and here's what I don't want us to do. I don't want us to go on a guilt trip only, because every time you hear a sermon about prayer and stuff, you know what you want to do? First off, you want to say, I don't pray nearly enough. In fact, when I was sitting down here singing, and we were singing, it's, it's your breath in my lungs, and I pour out my praise, I was thinking, how prayer, I, I had to confess my prayerlessness, even though I have prayed, but just the, the, the amount of praying that I've done is so small, and how much do I need to pray? So that was there, and I don't want to send us, like, it's going to be inevitable. If you are in Christ, you know that your language should be prayer, but it's not there, so Yes, we need the conviction of the Holy Spirit here, but also we need this. We need that moment of inspiration. I'm not talking about inspiration like the scriptures were inspired, but you know what I'm talking about. Have you ever watched a movie before? Like maybe Mighty Ducks or Sandlot? You thought I was going like Citizen Kane. No, okay? That's not what wasn't going to happen. Or you watch that movie Miracle about the, 80, the, the 19, I think it was the 80s national team that beat the Russians in hockey, and you're like, I'm going to learn how to play hockey now. Or you, you've watched some movie about somebody overcoming great obstacles, and you're like, man, I watched one the other day called Free Solo. It's from the Discovery Channel, and this guy, he did a free climb, no ropes, up El Capitan out west. It's ten, it was the longest free solo climb in history. It was terrifying. But after that, you're like, I'm going to go climb a proverbial mountain because I'm not going to climb a real one. That's insane, okay? And I hope what we do is we look at the Lord's Prayer that we understand, we get inspired by this, not just, not just convicted that of our prayerlessness, but that we would be inspired to pray because our God is this great. And if we would, we're going we're gonna to read through the Lord's Prayer one more time. It's short. It begins in verse 9. This is Jesus speaking to the crowds in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, then, pray then like this. 
Here's how to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, I want you, if you got this, there's two sections of the prayer. The first section of the prayer, not funny enough, it kind of it mirrors the way the Ten Commandments are laid out. The first section of the, sermon, or of the, the model prayer here, the Lord's Prayer, is all about God. And Jesus is giving us an example of how to pray. And the beginning of the example is to acknowledge God the Father for all who he is. Because our prayers are small and insignificant if we don't realize the significant God we're praying to. And so it starts off with our Father, which is just a huge bomb to drop. Because thinking of God as Father is a uniquely Christian idea. It really is. And I want us to see this juxtaposed, this God who is our Father in heaven. I want to see this juxtaposed, and Jesus talks about this in the verses that precede it. So if you just back up just a tad, if you have headings in your Bible, those aren't inspired. Those are just there. If you go back up to verse 5, it says the Lord's, or yeah, right above it, in my Bible, it's got the little, uh, the little tag that says the Lord's Prayer. You, may, you just may say the model prayer. But verse 5, Jesus, before he says pray like this, he gives some guy, the guys uh, around him, the people he's preaching to, he gives them uh, some, some ways not to pray. And, so, and, then, and, and looking at these ways not to pray, he kind of unpacks who God is. In verse 5, it says this, And when you pray, there's an assumption that you will pray, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. And so he says, when you pray, you should say, our Father in heaven. But don't be like these hypocrites who pray on the street corners to be seen by people. Now, the word hypocrite has the idea, and the root of that Greek word has, has in its background the idea of an actor. Now, you think of an actor nowadays, we think of the big sci-fi CGI movies that you see all around. You maybe think of Avengers or Star Wars or any number of those big-time movies that have all that kind of stuff. Well, the special effects in the Roman culture was a mask that had two sides. We've come a long way, okay? We have. And so, one, they would wear, they would put the mask up and it would have one side to the mask, and then you turn it around and have a different side, and you can play different characters by, in the plays or in the act by switching the masks around. So the very idea of two-face is in the word hypocrite. And so Jesus is, tell, is saying, when you pray, don't play like the hypocrites. He obviously has the Jewish religious elite, the Pharisees and the scribes, on his mind when he calls them, he calls them hypocrites all throughout these Gospels. And what we see here is he says, when you pray, and it's an assumption of prayer, and, and in, the, in the, the new heart, we do have that desire to pray, and we should pray. Jesus is assuming that his people's lives, those who are in the kingdom, their lives will be marked by prayer. But he says this here, don't be like those two-faced hypocrites. Why? For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. Now, why would they do that? Why would they pray out loud? And, and why would you do this in the street and on the street corners? To be seen. You guys ever, you've probably, uh, probably been down to Broadway before in, in Nashville, not, not uh, 
you know, uh, New York Broadway, you know, Broadway, Second Avenue. And those street performers, where do they stand? On the street corners. Why? To be noticed. Why? So you'll put money in there, okay? Into their guitar box or their, you know, their, their box next to their clogging, okay? Whatever. If I've been down there a time or two, all right? Whatever reason, they're there to be seen so that they can reap some benefit. And that is exactly what these men were doing at this time. These hypocrites, these religious people, were concerned that people know that they pray. Come and see how good I pray. Come and see how great and lofty my words are. Come and see how eloquent my prayers are. And Jesus says, don't pray like these hypocrites, these two-faced people. They do this. They pray in the, in the synagogues and at the street corners. Why? So that they might be seen by others. And I want to show you something. How you act really shows what kind of God you believe in. And in this situation, they have a God that is small enough to be disregarded. Because their prayers are not for God. Their prayers are not even really to God. Their prayers, the purpose, and Jesus says it in this verse, is that they might be seen. And that they might be seen as religious and they might be applauded as, do you see how holy that guy is? Did you see, did you hear what word he used? Oh man, he knows the tense in the Hebrew, okay? He knows it well. And he, he did you hear how loud he was praying? And did you hear the sins he called out in the prayer? Did you hear the way that he unpacked doctrine? But here's the good thing. They, may, they know so much about doctrine, but they, know the, they do forget to know the God of the doctrine. And that's what these, these hypocrites were doing. And so what we see here is that what they believe about God, they don't see God as Father. They see God as a means to patting themselves on the back and a means to to lifting their own egos up. And they really have a disregard for God. And so when we come to pray, we aren't supposed to be like the hypocrites who have a small God that's, who is easy to disregard. No. Jesus says that when we pray, if you go down to verse 6, but when you pray, you call out to your Father and you pray like this. And when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your father who is in secret will reward you. So the idea is this. Now, I want you to get this. He's not saying that the only way prayer can happen is in a room with a shut door. Okay? Because if you actually look at the Lord's Prayer, all of the pronouns are in the plural, the first person plural. It's our, we. So Jesus is teaching them how to pray corporately to help them to model it. But when, if you have a problem with pride and doing all your religiosity for people to see, then you need to probably shut the door and get away so that your prayers aren't disregarding God. You don't have a God who's small enough to be disregarded. You have a God who is a, our Father in heaven. And so we see, first off, that your understanding of who God is is, is massively important to your prayer life. If you have a small God, then your prayers will be about you. If you have a small God, your prayers will be about lifting yourself up. If you have a big God and you have a God who is intimate like a father in heaven, it's okay. You know your prayers, even though no one may hear them and they might be in a closet in your room, they matter. 
I recently saw a picture, and it was on the internet, so it's got to be true, right? So, I, and I think I, from from the place I saw it, I'm going to gather this was true. There was a tornado that went through the the Midwest. Surprise! And a tornado went through, and this gentleman was in his prayer closet, which was a closet in his house that he dubbed it. It didn't like say prayer closet on it, but he was hiding where he prayed every day. And then when the tornado came through, the only thing that was left, the house was just completely demolished to the slab, was that one area of the prayer closet. Now here's, if you know me, I'm not a precious moments type guy, okay? So this is not where we're going, like, and listen, that prayer closet was saved because he was praying. I was like, no, that doesn't fit with God's theology because he does, he does strike people down, okay? Even those he loves, discipline, okay? So... I'm not going to do it like, so if you pray and a tornado comes, you're in your prayer closet, you're going to be fine. That is not where I'm going with this, okay? But I want you to look at the end. I just want you to be clear because I don't want us to walk out and like have a Care Bear hug at the end because that would just make me sad, all right? I'll be that like, like the sad emoji would be the case if that was, if that's what you left with. But the idea is this. If you could just see that image that man had a relationship with God that's withstood. And it doesn't start with people patting you on the back. It starts alone in the prayer room. And that starts with a God who's big. Your doctrine of God, which means we talked about doctrine a whole bunch in Titus, your understanding of who God is, which has to be generated from the scriptures. If it's not, you're left to your own understanding and you pick your own God. But the God of the Bible, when you see him, he is a huge, big God. And the Pharisees had used their religion and their knowledge to belittle God. And he made him something, someone who could be disregarded. And I want, to tell, I want to tell myself and you, as we come to prayer, that you have to see God for who he is when you come to prayer. Jesus is calling his disciples and those who are hearing to see that. And then he says in verse 7, he says he doesn't just deal with the religious people. He also deals with those who are pagans, the Gentiles. And he says in verse 7, And when you pray to our Father in heaven, and when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. So don't be like these hypocrites, these two-faced people who use God as a means to an end and don't find God as the, the main end and don't see, they, they're able, they have a small God theology and they, they belittle God and disregard him. Don't be like them, but don't be like these Gentiles who say a lot of things and they think they're heard for their many words. Now, if you think about it, every other religion in the world, whether it is it is a major world religion or a small world religion, whether it's a, a more um, uh, a religion with some really strong doctrinal points or it's a religion that is just kind of animistic and, and, and superstitious, they all come down to this point. You do things to earn God's favor. God is disposed not to do good to you unless you meet a certain set of criteria. And once you meet that certain set of criteria, then God is favorably disposed to you, and he will do that. And I want to show you, animistic religions, um, the, the uh, Native American religions, all of, all of those religions had an element to that. That's why you see the rain dance. That's why you see in the, in the Old Testament, you see, um, you see uh, people sacrificing 
children to Baal or Molech in the Old Testament so that they could appease that God so they'll have fertility and they could have soil that would grow crops. And that would be one of the ways it happens. In First Kings chapter 18, sorry, 16 to 18, you got Elijah. It's a prime example because Elijah is having a showdown with the prophets of Baal. And there's 600 plus prophets of Baal. You got to check my math on that. Go back. I might be wrong about the number, but that's okay. You get the idea. There's a lot of prophets of Baal. And they're having a showdown. They build altars, and they put sacrifices on the altars. And Elijah says, all right, you guys go, and then I'll go. And whoever's God who lights the fire and burns up the offering first, that's the one who is God. So the prophets of Baal, you know what they do? They dance around, and they cut themselves. And Elijah's over there in the corner making fun of them. It's fantastic. You got homework now, okay? Between now and then to go read this. This is in First Kings. And so what you have happening is they, Elijah's like, hey, he's probably asleep. You got to wake your God up. So why don't you get a little bit louder? And so like, that's a good idea. Yeah! Okay, this is my, my version of this, okay? And so they, were, they would cut themselves and they would scream and they would dance. He's like, maybe he get, went to get a sandwich. Maybe he's out on a trip. And then they keep going and going and they wear themselves out. And then at the end, Elijah says, no, you're done. But I'm going to increase the difficulty level to show you how big my God is. And so here's what he does. They, they dig a trench and they douse the sacrifice in water and fill the trench up till it's overflowing. And he's like, God, show your glory. And the fire falls and it consumes the whole offering. And so what we see here is an example of Gentile religion. I know that's ancient, but nothing's changed. If I do this, God will now be favorably disposed to me and he'll do what I ask him to do. Jesus says quite the opposite, that when you pray, don't be like the the Gentiles who think because they pray so much that God will be favorably disposed to them. No, here is what he says. Verse 8, don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. God is already favorably disposed to his people which means we don't have to earn his favor, and we never could. It's a free gift of God's grace. And you know what it's rooted in? His character, not our goodness. If we, in our own strength, confided, our striving would be losing. You've maybe heard that before. That's exactly true. And then he says, when you pray, don't be like the Gentiles who think they have to earn God's favor by saying it again and again. Don't have to chant it. You don't have to do favorably disposed. You don't have to make sure. If you are thinking your prayers are going unanswered because of your, you're not praying enough, and we know we need to constantly go in prayer. Jesus talks about that. But you need, to un, you need to reevaluate your understanding of God because he is favorably disposed to his people, which is awesome. Now, I recently saw this on, on the Internet as well. You, you know I've been laid up, okay? All right. But this is true. The difference between religion and a relationship with God is, is this. Oh, don't call my dad. I messed up is religion. Relationship is, I really messed up. I need to call my dad. And there's a whole lot of truth to that. I know that may be a little, little meme you know? 
but that's true. Because we, we have a God that's favorably disposed to his people, not because of our goodness, but because of his graciousness. And so that's when we get to, then Jesus says, pray like this, our Father. He, that our Father here, which is amazing, shows that it, it really piggybacks off of what it says in verse 8, that he knows what we need before we ask him. And so we can cry out, and our first inclination in praying to God, and how we ought to pray to him, is our Father, knowing that he is a God who knows what we need before we ask him, who's favorably disposed to us, a God that will welcome us back from our rebellion. See, this God, God and Father here, Jesus makes him known perfectly as being God the Son. And we see in Luke chapter 15, you remember the parable of the prodigal son? The one who says, Dad, I want my inheritance. I'm going to run away, and I'm going to live my life my way. It's like I wish you were dead. What happens? Is the father over there? I can't believe he did that. I can't believe how, 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 how reckless that boy was. No, he's waiting for the boy to come home. And when the boy comes home, he goes to meet him. That is the father. That's what he's like. Jesus is making him known. And he's full of wisdom. You may not have had a great earthly dad. I, I have had a great earthly dad. Thank God. You might not have, but there is a God and Father who is wise and not a fool. Who is powerful, who is loving, who receives his people, who is favorably disposed, who is one, if you come to him, he won't cast you out. It, this, this is our Father. So when we come to God, we come to one who loves and knows what we need before we ask him, and we don't have to earn his approval. It is given to us on the basis of Christ's work, and we can come and pray knowing we got this big God who is a caring God. But note this as well. It says, our Father in heaven. The Father part of this acknowledges the imminence, the closeness, the love, the knowing what we need before we ask him. But the in heaven... Some of us have a Looney Tunes understanding of heaven, okay? If you don't know what Looney Tunes are, Google it, okay? Uh, You can find it on the YouTube, all right? So, and if you haven't seen this, you kind of know it's this ethereal place where people are playing harps, and it's just benign, and people hold hands, and they, oh, and it's just, it's very aloof and very out there. And the idea of heaven in the Old Testament especially, is the seat of power. Just like when you say the person in the White House, you're referring to the president who has power and who is the commander-in-chief, okay? When you think about the White House, you're not just thinking about a house, okay? Unless you're talking about Mitch and Stephanie's house or Bethany and uh, Jimmy's house, then that would be the White's house. But you know what I'm talking about. When you, most of the time, if you say the White House, you're not going to go, oh, yeah, Mitch and Steph's place. No, you're going to be thinking about the place where the president and the president, the White House is seen as the seat of power. So heaven is seen as the seat of power. And so we actually, and here's an example of this. This is from Psalm 115.3. Um, which, which says, um, uh, I didn't have it in my notes. It basically says that, 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 that God is in the heavens and, who can, and he reigns. And so the idea of heaven is the, the seat of power. And so our father in heaven, how we are supposed to dress him. See, our prayers have to begin with a big God. If they don't, they will always remain small. 
They have to remember that God is favorably disposed to, to us, that he is loving and gracious and wise, and he forgives the iniquity, and he is the one who's made a way, and he is the one who loves us, and he is our, he is our creator. We have to remember that, but we also have to remember he is in heaven, that he is the seat of all power, that when you look up to the heavens, you are looking for help from somebody who is mighty. So our prayers have to be rooted in the understanding of who God is, that he is close, he's loving, he is imminent, but also he's in heaven, he is powerful. So the, let's, let's follow the logic here. The God who loves us is also the God of all power. And so when we come to him and we lift up prayers to him, we are speaking to the most powerful being in the entire cosmos, the, the ultimate, the God Almighty, the God all-powerful, no more greater. And that is good news that the one who holds everything in his hand is our Father. And if we have a need, we ought to make it known. And he, has, he actually can do something about it. Now, you won't hear, when I'm, I, I vow to you, you're not going to hear all, you're not going to hear medical stories from me very much, okay, in this time. I know you're going, I'm going through medical stuff, so this is not going to be like, oh, great, we've got to hear about his medical stuff again. But I want to tell you something it, that doesn't usually happen. You know how I found the first doctor that found the cancer? I Googled that person, okay? And then I called the main office, which is in who knows where, because, you know, everything is strung out from Nashville to Cookville here, you know, because they got same offices. So I called God knows where, and they gave me the person in Lebanon. Well, the person who found the, the issue with me in Lebanon did all of the proper tests, which gastroenterologists don't do, so that when there was an opening for surgery, I got the first opening for surgery. That's why I had it so quick. Now, you might can look at that. From outside saying that's all coincidental. A series of amazing coincidence of serendipitous coincidences happening over and over again. While I have hundreds of people, probably thousands of people, they don't even know my name, but like have been spread prayerless everywhere. If that's not the power of God, I don't know what is. And I'll tell you one other one, and then I'm going to be done with this. But I just want to give you an example. I've seen this in my life. That's one of the reasons. And I was reading, been reading a book on prayer, and then then God's just been hammering me on this that our God is the mighty one who cares. Not because of anything that I've done, but because of his grace and goodness in Christ. And he does care, and he is all-powerful. And so, I, I just had my first procedure, and they make you take stuff that makes you dehydrated, go from there, whatever you need to do. And they said, we need to take blood from you so we can get the test going. And I just found out about Five minutes ago, I was still loopy as all get out that I had cancer. And the lady poked me once, and I don't like needles, okay? Just don't. It's honest with you. I turned my head and let them go. I mean, I'm a wuss with that, all right? And, and she's like, oh, you're so dehydrated. I don't think, I don't think we're going to be able to find a vein. I'm going to tell you something. I was still loopy, and I don't know what she saw, 
Okay, I raised my hand up while she was trying. She was like, what is wrong with homie? And I raised my hand up, and I just pray. I don't even know if it was out loud, and I said, I need a vein because I got to do something. I can't handle this. I want to get poked. She's like, we can wait for this. And you know what? The vein came protruding. That's small, but my God is big. And when we come to prayer, our prayers will always remain small if we see a small God. But our God is not to be mastered by us. He is the master of us. Our Father in heaven. He cares, but he's in heaven. The place of power, ruler of the world, the creator of it all. And then it says this, and here's the prayer. Our prayer should begin with acknowledgement of our God, who he is, his affection for us, but also his great might. And then it goes to this, a prayer that his name might be known and seen as holy throughout the world. And so what does he say? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And this, you have not said hallowed all or hallowed this week. If you have, we need to talk, and I need to know what you've been up to, okay? Hallowed, what does that mean? It says, God, may your name be seen as holy, set apart. It actually comes, the root of, of, this, of this word is holy, and so it's, God, may your name, the root of the word hallowed, that's translated hollow, hallowed, is at the root of it in, in the original language. It means holy. So God, our great God who loves us, our Father who is at the seat of all power, who is almighty, who controls the vein in my arms and the schedule of a surgeon and all of the things that happen in every one of our lives, God, may your name, be seen as holy throughout the world. We if, we, if our prayers are focused on us, and they often are, if we're honest, because usually it's like, <laughs> oh, no, I'm in trouble. Help me, help me, help me. Also, you're good. Thank you. Amen. Jesus' name. Anybody resonate with that? But... Jesus, let me teach you how to pray, guys. It starts with the Father who loves heaven, all-powerful, and then the desire, which is his glory and renown, to be known. Our lives are short. Our glory is fleeting. All of it is. All glory is fleeting, but his name matters most. I watched a thing last night about Wayne Gretzky. Many of you don't know who he is, but he was called the great one. And this particular thing I was watching is about when they traded him from the Edmonton Oilers. Now, those of you who are not sports people, I'm just not going to stay that. I'm not going to talk hockey, okay? So don't, don't get it. And those of you who are like, go Preds, all right? Go Preds, but we're not talking hockey, really, okay? Here's where we're going with this. In 1988, he was the biggest athlete in the world. I guarantee you, if I stood up at youth Wednesday night, which well, I'm going to get a good back to that, and I said, do you guys know who Wayne Gretzky is? Almost zero of them will know who he is. But he was the biggest thing in the world. Glory, self-glory, personal glory is fleeting. He's forgotten. He's a footnote now. He is a bunch of statistics. All glory is fleeting. 
even if it's, and we find ways to try to glorify ourselves. We are amazingly narcissistic. But the scripture calls us to remember we're living for a bigger name. For the glory of God. Your personal individual life is for that. Our church life is for that. Every part of our life and our prayer should be God be glorified. And so that affects how we pray because all of our asking and everything has to be rooted in who God is and the glory of God being in our life. So when we ask for something, and Jesus talks about not praying, praying as you ought not and praying for things you ought not. We see that in James about not praying for things that you should. And, and what I want to get at is that when you pray that God's renown would be known, that his name would be seen as holy, it changes you. Because now your problems are not the end-all, be-all, but as glorious. And our problems are, not, are now not just something that we have to deal with, but it's a means for God to get the glory. When you, when you hear people to share a testimony of God's goodness, it doesn't usually ha- start with something happy, right? Am I right? It usually starts with something real bad. And then you see God. And so when we pray, if we're going to pray as we ought and as we should, it has to start with our Father in heaven, the one who cares, the one who's always all power, and then the ultimate goal, you, me, the world, were created for the glory of God. And we should pray, God, let your name and your renown and your holiness, let the world see how great you are, how set apart you are, how great you are. That is a prayer that glorifies God. That is how we ought pray. And then it says in verse 10, your kingdom come. Whose kingdom? God's kingdom come. Now get this. God's kingdom is the rule and reign of God in Christ upon the whole world and the cosmos. Okay? It began, it was inaugurated with Jesus and it will be fulfilled when Jesus came the first time and it will be fulfilled and fully recognized when he comes again at the end. The the kingdom of God is not the church. The church is a part of the kingdom of God, but it's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is God's overarching rule and reign of everything. And it's coming it's here, and it's not yet. Whoa, it's just thundering here. <laughs> it's good stuff, man. <laughs> it's the rule and reign. And the prayer is for the kingdom to come, for God's rule to come. It's been inaugurated with Christ. It's here now, and it's advancing. But one day it will be fully known. And Church, we are part of the advancement of the kingdom, that the gates of hell will not prevail against us as we go out forth, taking with us the good news of the kingdom. And so our prayers should not be about our kingdoms, whether that's our family or our individual churches, when it's about his kingdom. Our kingdoms are so small and fleeting. What was the name of your great-great-grandparent? Unless you're a 
Robert probably knows because he does the Ancestry.com. But uh, most of us don't. I can't tell you. But they were integral in you being here, but you don't know much about them. Do you know why? Because all kingdoms, earthly kingdoms, are fleeting. Just like all glory is. And there is a rule and reign that's bigger. And, and church, if we would pray for the kingdom to come, it would change what we think about. It would change how we act. And everything we do would be for the kingdom advance. Your kingdom come. Your will be done, which means, God, let what you desire be done. Now, let's be clear, okay? Let's be very clear. God is sovereign, and he can do as he pleases. But he has, in these moments, being patient, willing that none should perish, has been graciously patient, long-suffering, and letting sin stay in the world. But he is God and sovereign over all of it. And when you say your will be done, it's not like anything can thwart his will. But it's, just, it's, it's actually asking for God's will to be seen in the world and for people to act as they ought to live by faith and repentance in the Son of God. That is what we're asking. Not that God won't do it. It's just saying we're longing for God's will and reign as it is in heaven to be done on earth. We're asking for the rebellion to be quenched by or to be quenched by the glory of God and the good news of the gospel. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Most of our prayers, and sadly, most of our prayer meetings, focus on this world and at the very least our own kingdom. Whether it's our individual one or just our church one. There's nothing wrong with praying that praying these things to the Lord. But he Jesus does give us a model for prayer. And where does the model prayer begin? It begins with God. And I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded of this. Because in a world where our faith is not yet sight, we sometimes live according to the tyranny of touch which means what is the most imminent and there is what we focus on the most. But when we pray, it's like a glimpse into another world, the world as it is. And when we see the model prayer and we use that to help us to pray, and that's what Jesus is doing, not that we have to say this from rote memory, but as we understand the Lord's prayer, it's used to help us to remember how to pray. Because I don't know about you, but I need to know how to pray. I, I, know I, don't, I don't forget the mechanics, but have you ever been that, that prayer time where it's just like the same old, same old? You got the same thing? You say the same things? You feel the same way? Over and over again? Fall asleep in the middle? Wake back up? We just kind of sleepwalk through the whole thing. And this reminds us, like, no, our prayers are small and tiny because we're not seeing God as we ought. The Lord's Prayer reminds us that God is the person to whom we are speaking. This God cares about us, but he is also the Almighty One in heaven, and he can actually do something about our situation. And our situation is not the goal, a resolution to our problem, but 
our lives are a means to glorify God. And so now we pray for his glory and his will to be done on this earth and our church everywhere. Why? For our own good? No, but for the glory of the kingdom because there is something greater than us and it is God and his kingdom. There was a lady, and, and it's been really cool over the last few weeks as I've gotten a lot of cards and stuff. And, man, you guys have fed us like kings. Thank you so much. And we've gotten cards from people and people letting us know that they've been praying for us. And there was this lady in um, at the, my last church who, who started our prayer ministry, and she sent me several letters, which has been really cool just to see that. And, and um, she, she's an elderly lady, as you can tell. She sends letters and not emails, which I, I'm great. I love to see the handwriting. And she's just a sweet lady. And she started the prayer ministry at my, our last church, and we had this room set apart. And we, we as a staff committed to having at least one, even our secretaries and everybody, we would go in, we had our time. The staff, the, the pastors would go twice a week in there to pray. And we had just started this back up and it was really renewed emphasis. Well, my second week, I went in to pray. And everybody was going, where's Matt? And somebody said, oh, look, he's on the schedule. He's in the prayer room. It's like, well, he was in there from 9 to 10. It's 1130. Where is he? <laughs> and so our music, our worship pastor walks down, knocks on the door, and he looks in. And it looked like I was praying, but I was out. I slept half a day at work. They should have docked me. It was not good. I'm just telling you the truth. <laughs> Tom's regretting bringing me here. Uh, <laughs> And I got up, and, I, man, they ragged me about They They still, I still get messages from the staff about that. And I want to I give you, uh, I don't want to leave you with the image of your pastor sleeping while in prayer, but that's what you got. Um, the real reason I told you that story is because oftentimes when our prayers are small, that's the result of them. But our God is the sovereign God of the universe. He holds everything in his hand. There's not a molecule that is not controlled by our God. And we are told that we ought pray. He says, when you pray, it's assumed. And then Jesus tells us how not to pray. And then he says, and you pray like this to your Father. And it all begins with a big doctrine of God. And so here's where I want us to kind of wrap this up, is to see that image of me sleeping in that room as, as a person who is praying ineffectually, as a person who is not seeing the grandeur of God. And I want to call us all, myself included, to prayer that sees the great God that we can have a relationship with. And so I hope you don't leave here today. I hope God, I really do hope God's convicted you in some way. But I don't want you just to stay there because I hope this inspires you as it has inspired me to know that our great God who can do and will move and works in our prayers to accomplish his sovereign feats, 
that that's the one we should pray to. And that is the one that we should acknowledge in our prayers so that our, our prayers won't be sleepy and ineffectual, but that that might be on fire with knowing and experiencing a relationship with him. The great God, our Father in heaven. Your name be seen as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you pray with me? Father, oh, your greatness is seen in the storm. We hear it now. We hear hear the thunder. We hear the rain falling from the sky, and we acknowledge, Lord, that it is quite amazing how rain even happens with the processes of evaporation and condensation, all the things that take place for that to be. And you are the author of that. You have infinite intelligence. You are good and you are wise and you are holy and you are set apart. And, I, and we confess our narcissism and the way that we try to disregard you or try to earn your favor. We repent of that, and we pray that you would open the eyes of our heart to see how great you are, and that we would, when we pray, we would acknowledge your greatness and your presence with us. God, it is astounding that the God of heaven knows us. It is astounding that you care, and you know what we need before we ask you. And we pray right now that in every situation here, in, the, in this room, I know there are a multitude of heartbreaks and a multitude of joys. In every one of those, Lord, would you let your name be seen as holy in all of these situations? And would your, we, we pray that your kingdom would come, that we would be a part of the kingdom coming here at this church and individually as believers But, Lord, we would see it on a global scale of your kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. You are God in heaven. We are here on earth, so we will keep our words few. But we are just so thankful and delighted that we can pray to you. Would you renew in us a spirit of prayer for your glory? and your renown, and for your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we're going to do something. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. So we're going to invite the um, uh, communion team forward. As we do that, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we invite you to, um, to take communion with us today. Um, communion is a sign and a symbol. And we are supposed to, we are, Jesus did this in the upper room with his disciples, and he calls us to continually celebrate the Lord's Supper. And as often as we do that, we proclaim his death until he comes. So this has the idea of the gospel all throughout it. Now, it would be fitting here in these moments as we pass around the elements, and we'll take them in, in a moment together. Um, after they're all passed out, I'll lead out in that. Um, but as we do that, I want us to spend a few minutes in awkward silence because it will be awkward. But I, I ask you to spend some time in prayer to the Lord, and we can exercise what we have been doing.
On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was in the upper room with his disciples. He took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Take it and eat. On that same evening, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Take it and drink. As often as we do this, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Hear these words of benediction from 1 Timothy 1 verse 17, which says this, To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You are dismissed.